Amen, amen. Well, go ahead and take a seat. As you do, grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we're going to continue our series just walking with Jesus in the book of John. As you turn there, uh, I want you to think about this. If you and I were sitting down for coffee and we started talking about life. And in the midst of talking about life, one of the things that came up was we started talking about just what does it look like to have a, a life to the full? Like a rich, satisfying, abundant life. I'm sure there's maybe some things that come to your mind as far as what that would look like and, and what that would involve. The, the reality is in our day and age, in the Western modern world, to, to, uh, to have an abundant life is something we feel like we have the right to design. A main part of that designing of the abundant life is being true to yourself. It's, it's getting further and further into yourself and figuring out what, what does it look like for me to have a rich, satisfying, full life. The, the tagline kind of of the world we live in is you be what? You be you. And don't you let anybody tell you who you can or cannot be. That's the vision of the abundant life in our world. I can't think of a better way to illustrate this than a Starbucks order I saw literally this week I was in line. And this was the order the person in front of me ordered. And so I saw, as soon as I got up to the screen, I was like, I got to get my phone out quick before this thing goes away. If you can't see it, that's 26 pumps of chai and 13 pumps of cinnamon dolce syrup. Obviously, add whip. I don't think they're too concerned about uh, sugar. I was shocked at this order. This is the world we live in. You want 26 pumps of chai? You deserve it. Come on, you be you. And then, wait, 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 that's not enough. So let's add 13 more pumps of cinnamon, whatever, cinnamon stuff, sugar. I, it, this is unbelievable. This is the world we live in. You be you. And whatever's going to lead to what you think, your happiness, you do that. If it's going to make you happy, do it. And yet I think as we look around our world today, I don't know that the evidence points to the fact that that vision of life leads to abundant life. We see depression, anxiety, suicide, loneliness, stress, worry. We see people just overwhelmed by those things. And I think as we look at that, we go like, there's got to be more than just this you be you, be true to yourself kind of vision of the abundant life. And here is where Jesus steps in and says, there is. And this is what we're going to look at today together. Jesus is going to show us that he is the door to abundant life and he is our guide for the continued experience of abundant life together. Something so much better than what the world has told us. Hey, this is what life is. And so we're going to see that in John 10. Before we get into our text together, though, we've got to realize that John 10 is happening right in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is, hap is, is having with a man that was born blind. There's Pharisees there. They're his disciples. So let's get into the context, and then we'll look at John 10 together. Specifically, we're going to spend most of our time in John 10, 7 through 18. But before that, if you remember, last week we finished, and Jesus had just said uh, that I am before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees hear that and they go like, that's a claim to be God. And they lose their minds. They pick up stones and they get ready to stone Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. And I love this. This is some of my favorite, most underrated miracles of Jesus. It says he just hid in the temple and then he leaves. 
Imagine that. Imagine if 50 of you, something I say, just really, you lose your mind. You go, you pick up stones, you come in, and like all the attention is on me. You go, we've got to take this guy down. I'm just like, all right, peace, seal it. That's amazing. <laughs> and Jesus just leaves the temple. He walks out. On his way out, he sees a man that was born blind. And he heals this man. Amazing. This guy who had never had sight before now has sight. Praise God, right? Amazing. Right? Wrong. As long as the Pharisees are there. The Pharisees lose it. And they start going, wait, who, who was this? Who healed you? His, his neighbors, his friends get involved. This, this man that's born blind. And, and there's the, the Pharisees start questioning him. And, and the Pharisees then go and actually get this man's parents. And they pull him in. And the parents are like, ah, oh, we, we know he was born blind, but don't involve us any more than that. Go talk to him. So they go back to the man that was born blind. They start asking him more questions. And I love this. He goes, oh, oh, you're back. Do you guys want to become his disciples too? That's so cute doesn't go over super, any sarcastic people in the room think you and this man born blind would get along super well. <laughs> but he's not done. He continues and he says, hey, Pharisees, this is amazing. You don't know where this Jesus comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. If this man were not from God, he could not do anything. The blind man gets it. And the Pharisees don't like it. So they kick him out of the temple. And that's where we pick up the story right before John chapter 10 in John 9, 35. So get with me there just a little bit before John 10, John 9, 35. This man born blind has just been cast out of the temple. Verse 35 in chapter 9 says, Jesus heard that they'd cast him out and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He, the blind man, answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And so he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. And now some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and they said, are we also blind? Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. And so here's this man that was born blind. Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to understand. And so he shifts the picture in chapter 10 to shepherds and sheeps and sheep pen. It seems like a pretty stark contrast to where they were. But it's not as stark as it appears. You see, the man that was born blind had been treated roughly by religious authorities. He'd been thrown out of the synagogue. And Jesus now paints a picture in John 10 of who he is and who the Pharisees are. The Pharisees are the thief and the robber in John 10 of the picture Jesus just painted. The ESV commentary says it this way. It says, Jesus healed a man born blind. Was anything impossible for him? The Pharisees not only failed to repent of their sin, they also reject Jesus. They show no concern for the man born blind. They do not rejoice with him who now sees. They do not celebrate Jesus as the one who can do what has never been done before. They do not consider how other blind and lame people could benefit from Jesus. They show no interest 
in how Jesus could help others correct their own mistaken thinking and bring to fulfillment what the Old Testament had prophesied. The opponents of Jesus are concerned only with themselves, with their own agenda, their own authority, and their own control of people. Jesus is now changing the picture to try and show his listeners that the Pharisees and religious leaders care nothing for them. Hey, you want life? You want abundant life? It's not going to be found in the way of the Pharisees. It's not going to be found in the way of the religious leaders. But Jesus says, I can show you. I can show you the path to true and abundant life. And that's what we're going to see as we continue this morning. The sermon, in a sentence, will say it this way. Jesus is both the door we enter for abundant life and the good shepherd we follow for abundant life. Jesus is both the door we enter for abundant life and the good shepherd we follow for abundant life. I want to pray for us and then we'll continue to get after it together in John chapter 10. And so Lord, we pray, we ask that you would help us. God, maybe there's some in the room who have never fully surrendered to you, Jesus. They've never gotten to the place where they've gotten to even taste and see a little bit of this abundant life. God, would you allow today to be the day? Where they surrender fully to you. God, some of us in the room, we already know this text. We know what's coming and we've kind of already mentally checked out. God, get us back here. Get us back in the text. Get us back in your words, Jesus, because these words are alive. They're active and you are ready to do some work on our hearts this morning. We don't want to miss that, Jesus. And so elevate yourself, elevate your glory and your word in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. John 10, let's get back into it starting in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, this is this third of the I am statements that we see in John. He says, I am the door. Now, sheep and shepherds were common in this day, so there would have been an image that comes to mind in the listeners, but it's not as common in our day and age. And so this is what a sheep pen or a sheep fold, sometimes you'll see in scripture, would have looked like, kind of rocks stacked up on top of each other, and it created an enclosure, but there was a door, an entrance into this enclosure. And you would see these, and there'd be one way in and one way out. The image here is of a flock of sheep that is in a threatening environment. Food and water are scarce. Predators are everywhere, and they know the sheep are vulnerable. You have thieves and robbers ready to take and steal from the sheep. But if the sheep enter through this door, the one way into the sheep pen, they're safe. Once through the door, they get all the blessings and the benefit of the sheep pen. And this may seem so obvious, but it's so important to the point Jesus is making. Jesus is telling us that what is true for these sheep is true for us. The first point we see here today is Jesus is the door we enter for abundant life. For safety, for provision, Jesus is the door we enter for abundant life. This I am revelation here certainly parallels an I am statement we'll see later in the book of John where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, if you believe in me and you trust me to be the only path to God, I promise you 
Specifically, two things that we see in this text in verse 9. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We enter into Jesus and we are saved. Saved from what? Saved from those who seek to kill and steal and destroy. Ultimately, the thief here we see in John 10 verse 10 is sin and death that is out to get you and I. Out to destroy us. Out to kill us. Out to torture us. And Jesus says, I will step in. You enter into my flock and I will protect you. I will keep you safe. But not only does he keep us safe. Because we weren't made to just be safe. Jesus says, I want to bring you into life. Jesus says, these sheep, they'll go in and out and find pasture, provision. Another way to say it is just there in John 10.10. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. I would venture to guess that there is not a single person in the room that would say, I'm okay with just an okay life. I think each and every one of us, we want a full, rich, abundant life to be able to get to the end of our days and say, I experienced life to the full, not life 20%. We want life to the full, and Jesus says, it can be yours in me. You can be safe from sin and death in me. You can have abundant, rich, full, satisfying life in me and only in me. Now, if you're in the room and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that today is the day that you say, I've had enough. And I want to turn to Jesus as the door into which I can enter into abundant life where sin and suffering are dealt with and taken care of. And we can experience life to the full. But some of you in this room, we've, we've made the decision to put our faith and trust in Jesus. But if we were honest, we'd say, like, I, I mean, abundant life sounds good. Life to the full sounds good, but I would not describe my life that way. And maybe you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're going, I, I'm not experiencing it. What am I missing? It's really interesting in preparing for this text. I got to learn not just about shepherds, but also about sheep. One of the things I learned about sheep is they'll often settle for less. Listen to this. When the sheep are thirsty, they'll stop at a dirty puddle right in front of them instead of going for the clean, still waters 20 feet ahead. Sadly, they're content with filth so long as it satisfies them in the moment. I find we as people are not much different. Many times we see a dirty puddle of sin right in front of us and we go straight for it because we think that it will satisfy us when the still, true, life-giving waters of Jesus are 20 feet ahead. I think there's many of us in the room that have settled for the muddy waters. So we're going, I don't have abundant life. And Jesus wants to meet us right where we are and say, don't settle. I want to lead and guide you into life to the full. And so the rest of our text, we're going to see Jesus is not only the door, but he's the good shepherd who leads us into abundant life experienced in him. And so let's continue on in our text, John 10, pick it up with me in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. The second thing we see in our text today is Jesus is the good shepherd who sacrificially cares for us. Jesus is the good shepherd who sacrificially cares for us. Jesus tells us straight up in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You see, shepherds back in this day would often sleep or sit or rest in the entry of the sheep pen, kind of like this. The idea being that in order to get to the sheep, you have to come through me. And there were times where the shepherd would have to go so far as to lay down his own life for the protection of the sheep. As predators were coming to attack and to try to get into the sheep pen, sometimes the shepherd would have to be willing to lay down his life in order to protect his sheep. Jesus compares this good shepherd with the hired hand who says cares nothing for the sheep. When these predators come, they come to attack and kill the sheep. The hired hand goes, I'm out and bails. Because they're not a sheep. He cares nothing for them. But a good shepherd, a good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. And Jesus is that good shepherd. Jesus willingly laid down his life for the sheep. As Jesus was saying this, the cross is ahead. And Jesus knows it. Jesus came knowing he would die for the sake of the sheep, and yet he did this for us, for you and for me. He loves us and cares for us so deeply that he says, whatever it costs so that I can care for these sheep, I will do it. And it was costly. It was painful. I think the idea here of a shepherd laying down his life for his sheep can almost sound like peaceful. The cross was anything but peaceful. Listen to this, even after enduring a brutal beating and flogging and being paraded through the streets before jeering crowds and forced to carry his own crossbeam, Jesus still had to face his death by crucifixion. One scholar, Truman Davis, explained the act of crucifixion like this. It was designed to keep the victim alive in as much pain as possible for as long as possible without letting them slip into shock. It involves dizziness, cramps, thirst, sleeplessness, hunger, Traumatic fever, humiliation, and shame, piercing wounds, and ripped tendons. And yet every act of treachery, every act of brutality against Jesus, God was in it. In every part of it to show you and I how much he cares for us. The lash on his back, the thorns on his head, the spit on his cheek, the bruises on his face, the nails in his hands, the spear in his side, the scorn of rulers, the betrayal of his friend, the desertion of his disciples. These were all the results of the enemy and the predator of sin. And yet they were all designed by God to destroy the power of sin and to lead you and I into abundant life. Every part of the cross, Jesus is crying out to us. That he cares for us. And maybe you're in the room this morning and going, I don't believe it. I don't know what you're walking through, but it could be a really hard season. You're going, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm, you know, God cares for me, but I, I, I don't see it. I would encourage you, if you are struggling to see God's goodness and God's care for you, look to the cross. Where Jesus says, I will do whatever it takes to care for my sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life and Jesus says, I'm in. 
because I love my sheep. I care for my sheep. Jesus sees you and he cares for you right where you are. Jesus, the good shepherd, sacrificially cares for us. And a good shepherd has to be willing to lay down his life for his sheep. But to care well for your sheep, you also have to be willing to get close to the sheep. And there's this really unique sheep-shepherd relationship where the shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know the shepherd. And Jesus is that shepherd for us. He continues in John 10. Pick it up with me in verse 14. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Third thing we see today is Jesus is the good shepherd who intimately knows us. Jesus is the good shepherd who intimately knows us. The good shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Jesus is a shepherd that is not far off. He's not removed from his people. He's amongst his people. Jesus is literally God with flesh on heaven come down to earth. He's not a shepherd who barely knows his sheep, but he is in the midst of his sheep. He is near. Verse 15 even says that the relationship between Jesus and his people mirrors the relationship between Jesus and his father. This is amazing. Between Jesus and the Father, there's nothing hidden. It's perfect love. It's perfect fellowship. It's unbroken joy and unity. It's a relationship as it's meant to be. And Jesus says, this is the relationship that's available between him and us. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He sees and knows the worst parts of you. He sees the depths of your heart. He calls you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows when you sit down and when you rise up. He knows what you did this week. He knows what you said. He knows what you thought. He knows what you're thinking about doing that you hope no one finds out you're thinking. He sees the things that you've said and you're so glad no one heard. He knows what you did that you're hoping no one saw. He knows the outbursts of anger. He knows the jealousy. He knows the rage. He knows your pain. He knows your sorrow. He knows your anger. He sees it all, and yet he looks at you and says, mine. Jesus intimately knows his sheep. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, he knows you. He sees you. And he looks at you right where you are, and he says, mine. Now, as a good shepherd, he doesn't want to leave you there. He doesn't want to leave you there. He may be calling you into confession and repentance, and he wants to lead you to those still waters of true and abundant life. But right where you are, he looks at you and says, mine. But the beautiful thing about this relationship is it goes two ways. The shepherd knows his sheep, but the sheep also know and respond to the voice of the shepherd. I want to show you this video. It's a video of a shepherd with his sheep. And I, I don't have audio on it because there's some uh, questionable language. <laughs> um, but right now, the shepherd, if we had the audio, you could hear the shepherd doing a call to his sheep. And what happened right before this moment in the video is some other people came up and tried to mimic the shepherd's call. And the sheep, literally, they don't move. They just sit there. Nothing happens. The shepherd begins to call his sheep. And the sheep recognize his voice. And look at this. They're drawn to the shepherd. They hear the voice of the shepherd and they come right to the shepherd. Aww. 
This is the relationship Jesus says, I want to have with you. And now we need to do the work of getting to know the voice of our shepherd. Jesus knows us. He loves us right where we are. And yet he's speaking to us. We need to do the work to make sure we know his voice. How do we do that? How do we get to know the voice of the shepherd? It's going to blow you away. You ready? The word and prayer. It's so simple. I didn't say it was easy, but it's so simple. The word and prayer. If you're like, I don't hear the voice of God, get in his word and pray. And then keep doing it. Sometimes I think we go, like we almost think of the Bible like modern medicine. It's like, well, I took my two Tylenol pills and my headache didn't go away. It must be a problem with the word. No, we continue to get into this thing. We don't eat once and then go like, man, that meal was amazing, but it didn't work because I'm hungry. And then blame the meal for not doing what it was supposed to do. You know what we do? We go eat again. If you're going, I can't hear the voice of God, get in his word and keep getting in his word. Do the hard work. I know so many of us in this room spend so much time doing so many other things. And then we give God some leftovers and say, oh, I'll open up my Bible app and look at the verse of the day. And then I'm going to go on with my day. And then I'm like, why can't I hear the voice of God? Spend time in the word. Talk to him. He wants to hear from you. He's speaking to you. Last week we talked about the word. I want to bring this back up. As we think about getting in the word, we are to read it, memorize it, meditate on it. It's not just about getting in the word, but getting the word in us. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Come back to it. We fight with the word of God. We fight against sin. Against the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How do we fight? We fight with the word of God. And then we obey it. Y'all, I'm convinced that so many of us are stuck on the, the muddy waters because we just simply don't obey the word of God. Abundant life is found on the other side of continually increasing obedience, not just knowledge. Yes, we need to know the word, but then we need to do the word. Yes, we need to know the word, but then we need to live the word. God is a good shepherd. And he intimately knows you. He wants relationship with you. But that's got to go two ways. He knows you, he sees you, and he is speaking to you. Do you know the voice of your shepherd? And if you don't, I challenge you, get in the word and pray. Seek God, do the hard work, and then continue to do it. Continue to show up. If you're in any kind of healthy relationship, don't you know that most of the work that goes into it is pretty boring? You just keep showing up. How do you get a great relationship? You keep showing up. And yeah, you have those times, right? Amazing date nights and oh, this trip and this. But most of life is just you show up. And Jesus is saying, hey, show up. I want to be your good shepherd. I know you. I love you. It's on us to show up. But Jesus continues here. Jesus says, the good shepherd says, I care for my sheep. I, I know my sheep. But I have sheep that are not part of this flock that I need to go and get. And a good shepherd will leave those sheep and they will go get those other sheep and they will bring them into the fold. And that's exactly what Jesus, our good shepherd, does. John 10, look with me back at John 10, verse 16. Jesus says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I 
must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Our fourth point today is this. Jesus is the good shepherd who radically unites us. Jesus is the good shepherd who radically unites us. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. What does Jesus mean here? I think this is a glimpse into what Paul refers to as the mystery of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Gentiles, that's you and me, non-ethnically Jewish people, non-ethnically Israelites. Jesus says, I have made a way for you to enter into the family of God, and I'm going to leave to go get those sheep and bring them into the family. This was radical back in that day. Jesus takes the two and makes them one, Jew and Gentile together. And just like Jesus did back then, he wants to do for us today. He desires unity for his church, one shepherd, one flock together under one name, the name of Jesus. And I don't think it takes much to convince us that true unity is so countercultural today and honestly is so beautiful to the world around us. The world is desperately hungry for unity. And all the ways we're trying to seek it is just leading to more division and more fracturing and more splinteredness amongst us. And Jesus is saying, I have the way to unity. So what is biblical radical unity? It's, it's this, and I know it's a little wordy. You don't necessarily have to write this down, but biblical radical unity, it's unity in Christ, powered by the Holy Spirit who unites us through the truth of God's word, a shared mission, familial affection and service, and reconciliation with each other. I want to talk just about each of those pieces here quickly. Biblical unity is unity in Christ. It's not unity in other things we may try to be unified. It's unity in Christ and powered by the Holy Spirit. In our own power, in our own flesh, we don't have the resources to be unified together. But you know who does? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, for those of us who've given our life to Jesus, lives in you, lives in me, and wants to unite us as a family of God together. He can do what we can't. Now, how does he do it? He does it through the truth of God's word. We unite on the belief that this book is alive, it's active, it's powerful, and God is using it to unite our hearts together. And not only that, we unite together around a shared mission. I'm convinced so many of us don't experience the abundant life because we're trying to live a missionless life. God has given us the mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the mission. We don't have to sit around and wonder, what, what's God's will for my life? It's right there. And God says, I want to unify you around this. Have you noticed when people have a shared mission together, there's a sense of unity that comes from that. And God's saying, I want to unify you through the power of my spirit around the shared mission. Not only that, I want to unify you around familial affection and service. God does something as he brings us to himself where we become brothers and sisters in Jesus. And so often when we think about the family of God, we think only of the ways we are to serve one another. And that's so important. But I love this word, familial what? Affection. Like we ought to have a warmth towards one another. 
not just put up with one another. God calls us brothers and sisters. There's a familial affection and service we're to have, and then reconciliation with each other. We work hard at unity. We work hard when division comes. We go and we seek out our brother and sister, and we reconcile. We make things right, because what God has called us to is too important for us to get divided. The Spirit says, I want to bring about biblical, radical unity. One shepherd, one flock, under one name. And God calls us to work hard for that. I'm here to tell you, biblical unity will not often be easy or comfortable. It will not often be easy or comfortable. And yet so many of us, as we think about unity and community, that's what we're looking for, right? I just want comfortable. I tried that relationship for a little bit. It was just, it was uncomfortable, so I'm out. I tried that discipleship group for two weeks. It just wasn't easy, so I'm out. What relationship is easy four hours in? Not many. You got to work at it. Biblical unity is not easy. It's not comfortable, but it is best. And it is how we get to shout out to a divided world that the spirit of God is better than the spirit of this world. Jesus, our good shepherd, brings about radical unity in us. Jesus, our good shepherd, he intimately knows us. And Jesus, our good shepherd, he sacrificially cares for us. But I think if we were back thousands of years ago listening to Jesus, there would have been a question rattling around in our minds, and it's this. A shepherd is only as good to the sheep as he has breath in his lungs. Do you, do you get that? So like as soon as a shepherd dies, like he lays down his life for a sheep, maybe he even killed that predator. That's great. But sheep without a shepherd are helpless and defenseless, and now... They're on their path to death. So Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd who will sacrificially care for you. I'll lay down my life for you. That's good news. But it's only as good as he has breath in his lungs. And so what do we do with that? Well, Jesus isn't done. He's going to circle back around and he's going to tell us, yeah, yeah, I'm going to lay down my life for you. But that's not the end of the story. John 10, pick it up in verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Last thing we see here is Jesus is the good shepherd who sovereignly protects us. Jesus is the good shepherd who sovereignly protects us. Jesus, after laying down his life, has all power and authority to take it back up again and not be our dead shepherd, but our living shepherd who continues to lead us into abundant, full life. What does it mean that God is sovereign? I think it's a word we toss around in, in church a lot. What does, that, what does that really mean? It means there's no limits to God's rule. To be sovereign is to have complete control and ultimate authority. He's sovereign over the whole world. He's sovereign over everything that happens in it. He is never helpless. He is never frustrated. And he's never at a loss. 
God's plan for thousands of years has been to lead his people to abundant life, to be their good shepherd and their living protector, not their dead protector. And Jesus is here in this book as the sovereign fulfillment of promises that God has made for hundreds, if not thousands of years before John 10. And Jesus has come to sovereignly fulfill those promises. You can't read John 10 without thinking of Ezekiel 34. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. Jesus is the one who sovereignly protects us and who sovereignly fulfills what the word of God says and prophesies. God says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. And I will bring them out from peoples and gather them from countries, and I will feed them on the mountains, by the ravines, and in all inhabited places. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountains. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I'll bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will rescue my flock. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. And he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And Jesus says, this is me. I'm the shepherd. I'm the fulfillment. I'm the one who, yes, lays my life down, but then I have all authority to take it up again because I'm here to fulfill what God's word has said, to be the everlasting shepherd of his people, to continue to lead and guide us in abundant life, not just when we die, but that abundant life that starts now, life to the full that starts now, a rich, satisfying life that can start now. That is the offer of Jesus for you and for me. Jesus is both the door we enter for abundant life and the good shepherd we follow for abundant life. Jesus is both the door we enter for abundant life. Again, maybe you are here and you've never made the decision to just fully surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're going, I'm experiencing some of the effects of sin and destruction in my life. Jesus looks at you and he says, I have come to rescue you, to save you, and to bring you into my family. I laid down my life for you. I paid the penalty of your sin. And now all you have to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the shepherd of your soul who wants to bring you into his family. Will you make that decision today? And then some of us, as we wrap up our time together this morning, we've, we've done that. We've made that decision. But, but you're here and you're going, there are some ways that, that I'm lacking the experience of the full and abundant life that God offers us. As I think about my life, the last words that I would use to describe it are abundant, are life to the full. Jesus, as your good shepherd, is looking at you right where you are. And he's calling you out of that muddy puddle of sin. And he's calling you 20 feet past to the still living waters. Our part in that 
is to more fully yield and surrender to Jesus. And so for, for those of us in the room who have already made that decision to put our faith and trust in him, where is Jesus moving in your heart? Where is the Holy Spirit moving in your heart to release control and yield every area of your life to him? Where might Jesus be moving in your heart to say, hey, yeah, abundant life is yours, but, but you need to take a step of obedience. Where is he moving in your life in such a way that we need to get on the other side of comfort and ease and find out that what is actually on the other side is rich, abundant, full life. Will we make the decision today to more fully yield and surrender our lives to Jesus, the door for abundant life and the shepherd for continued abundant life? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are the door through which we can enter to have abundant life, full life, rich life. God, that you have saved us not just to make it by. You've saved us for not just an okay life, but you have saved us for life and life to the full. Jesus, as our good shepherd, lead and guide us more and more into the fullness of the life that you have for us. Lead us more and more into the life of abundance that you have for us. And what makes it abundant is we have you, Jesus. And so help us, lead us, guide us. We surrender and submit to you as our shepherd, we pray. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen.